what's there? Well, you know, um, you grow up, you come to the time of your life, I'm, always, I'm almost 50. You know, some, some men, they buy sports cars. Some men have affairs. I was pretty feeling insecure about, I need to practice ICU differently from what I see here. Part of it is, I want to learn what others are doing. I can't sit still. So I said, hmm, let's do it. So I went to San Jose and worked there. It was, it's a nice hospital. The name is Good Samaritan Hospital. It's in the middle of southern San Jose, right by the border in Los Gatos. It's a very wealthy community. Um, the resources of the hospital by far, I wish we had that in our hospital over here. But, um, and then the idea, hey, maybe we could move to San Jose. <laughs> oh boy. Yes. And John said, hey, Ed, would you like to speak? April 6th. He goes, okay. I said, what am I going to talk about? And then it hit me. The thought that immediately came to mind was the story of Abraham and Lot. Could you imagine that? That's the first thing that ever was like, why? <laughs> why would that be? And so I pondered upon it and thought about it. Oh, the question was answered. You see, one of the things that I always pray when I talk up here is that it's like, God, I'm, I'm just your mouth. Uh, I'm not a preacher, um, but I need you to get this message, whatever it is that you plant in my brain, and get it out there so that people would understand. And so the title that came up to my mind was Looking Back. By the way, Lorraine, thank you very much. You know, um, she called me Wednesday. Hey, what's the title of your sermon. I say, what kind of picture do you want to put in the bulletin with that? It's perfect. There's a lady there looking back at a very wonderful scenery. And it's perfect. So, with that background, let's, uh, let's all pray and let's ask for God's presence to be here. Father in heaven, thank you for giving me this opportunity to be able to deliver the message that you implanted in my heart. It only has power when your Holy Spirit comes with it and help change and transform our, our hearts and our minds so that we'll always be looking to you and not looking backwards. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, if you open to Luke 17, we will start there, Luke 17. Now the, um, the background of this is a question 
And by the way, this chapter in the gospel parallels, I think it's Matthew uh, 24 as well. And the question that was posed by the Pharisees to Jesus was when will your kingdom come? And Jesus, of course, was looking at the future, specifically today. Our future. He was looking at the time before the end. He even states in Luke um, 17:20, he said, "The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor people will say, "Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst." By the way, when he said that, he was proclaiming himself the king of that kingdom, and he was on earth. Remember whose kingdom this belongs to before he came to the earth. It wasn't his. If you look down, right before um, on verse 26, Luke 17, 26, it says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. And then the next verse after that, it's a repeat of that other verse, different situation. It says, it was in the same, in the days of Lot. So when the Bible repeats itself, obviously it's important, right? It repeats itself. It says, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is in the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. And then the sentence, the text, our key verse this morning, and... Um, if you read a sentence with an exclamation point, what does that mean? It's like a bombshell of a statement. Remember Lot's wife. Whoa. You know, that's the only verse in the Bible. If you look at Matthew, it doesn't say that. It talks about Noah and how the day of the Son of Man is revealed. It talks about Noah, but it doesn't talk about Lot. It doesn't talk about this very sentence. Remember Lot's wife. And so the question is, well, I'm sure you're familiar with the story, right? So let's go there. By the way, there's many verses in the Bible. In fact, if you count verses in the Bible that says remember, there's many of them. Uh, this is just a partial list, but these are some of the most awesome verses you've ever, ever read. In fact, one of my favorite verses is that first one right there. Isaiah 49, 
15 and 16. Let me just read it just because I love that verse. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. 49, 15 and 16. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she also has born? A question. Though she may forget, this is God speaking now, I will not forget. You see, I engrave you in the palms of my hand. Beautiful verse. But whenever there's a remember in a sentence, right, it's reminding us a very, very important lesson. I mean, look at uh, Exodus 28, right? That's a famous verse, right? It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that says what? Remember the Sabbath day. So when, when Jesus says, remember Lot's wife with an exclamation point, it's pretty important. What's more is that who is he directing the warning to? It's to all of us here. I mean, the question was posed, right? What time or when is the coming of the Son of Man? And he answers it right there. But then he says, remember Lot's wife. And so, so then, you're, then you become curious, like, well, what was Noah's day like? What was Lot's day like? What was the culture? What was the, the mood? And then we go back to the story. So anyway, if you want to write down all verses that have remember, and they're amazing. The story, of course, began in the city of Ur, U-R. Uh, it's in the modern city of, I think, what we call Basra now in Iraq. You know, one of the things that I really like, because this morning we studied the lesson and we studied about Job. Job is from this area, you guys. This is Ur, right here. And um, some, some speculate that the Garden of Eden is actually somewhere over here. You see, what happens is that the Garden of Eden was here. Um, there was, you know, the, the, the Adam and Eve was kicked out. Uh, a lot of settlement was over here. The floods came and people resettled there. Babel was somewhere in here. You know, that area we call the cradle of civilization, Mesopotamia. All right. So Abraham's family started from there. Oh. and journeyed all the way, oh, all the way to Canaan. This is Canaan here. And they had to follow the river Tigris to do that. They have to have a constant water source. As you and I know, that's in the middle of the desert there. And the only way you can travel by foot and with animals is you go from water source to the next. And so they followed the, the Euphrates River all the way up to north in Haran, 
where Abraham's uh, father, who lived to be a, a ripe old age of 205, died. And he kept going, going south through Aleppo, down to Damascus, and all the way down to the land of Canaan. His family, uh, including his nephew, Lot, Lot's father was Abraham's brother. But imagine being called one day, and you know, I'm curious how God called Abraham from Ur. I mean, did he like send a messenger, or was it just in dreams, or was it just you know, a voice from heaven saying, hey, you get up, uproot your family, and go to this place called Canaan, which I will tell you where, and you just go and pick up. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's like, you know, um, a dream some night comes to me and say, hey, uh, Ed Verdi, you need to go to San Jose. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, they're, 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 it's, it's a lot to uproot a family, isn't it? I mean, and Abraham, Abraham at that time, had a huge family. You know, his father was with him, Lot, and then many family members, servants, um, livestock. They had to move all the way to Canaan. They came to Canaan. In fact, there was a, a famine in Canaan. They had to go to Egypt, survive, go back. And then on the way back, what happens? They were about right here. And then um, the, uh, the herdsmen, because they had such large flock, they began to fight. And so Abram said, okay, we need, to, we need to do something about this. Now he's the older person. He told Lot, hey, um, Lot, our flocks are too big. There's not enough grazing land. There's not enough water for both flocks. So I'll tell you what. I'll give them my right of first choice and let you choose which, road, which uh, road you'll take. If you go to the left, Abraham said, I will go to the right, and vice versa. So what did Lot choose? Well, at this time, um, if you read about archaeology, um, the, the Dead Sea uh, that's there now uh, wasn't there before. Uh, that, that whole area, it's called the Jordan Valley. Um, I think Lot even described it um, in, let's see. And I think it's Genesis 17 or 16 before that. He called it the Garden of God. It was lush. It had water. It had beautiful cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he looked at that, and he goes, man, that's where I'm going to go. Right? Now, mind you not, these guys don't need any more wealth. I mean, if, you, if the Bible describes Lot and Abraham's um, household and their, what they own, huge. They both were wealthy men when they left Ur. But to Lot, it wasn't enough. So he said, yeah, business opportunity, right there. And so what, what did the Bible say? It says he camped or he pitched his tent towards Sodom. All right? You know, um, George W. Bush, our 
the second, the son president. You know, he wrote a book called Decision Points. And if you read it, it's a good, it's a good book. And you, he looks back at, you know, the forks in the road of his decision as a president. Well, this is a big decision point for a lot because this decision to go towards Sodom proved to be a catastrophe, <laughs> right? Now, mind you, before all of this happened, Abraham was sacrificing animals. He was praying to God. He was teaching his family how to have worship. He was the spiritual leader of their family. And Lot was exposed to all of this. And yet, the choice that was made was uncharacteristic of Lot himself. But, you know, every one of us has that lot inside of us, right? We see opportunity, and we go for it, right? And so he pitched his tent towards Sodom, and he eventually ended up in Sodom. Now, you know, we can't be really severe about Lot being inside Sodom, because if you read um, in the story, um, after they started uh, pitching their tents in Sodom, you know, with such a large household, large flock, you know, they were attacked. They were in the middle of a war. Five kings against four kings. And guess what happened? Lot and his family and all his possessions was taken captive. In fact, Abraham had to go rescue them with about 320 men. The king of Sodom was so thankful to Abraham, he said, I will give you everything except my men. What did Abraham say? I don't even want even a sandal strap from you. I just want my nephew. So when Lot became a resident of Sodom, do you think he was a special citizen of that city? You bet. He's the nephew of my rescuer. I'm going to treat him well. He had honor. In fact, he probably was a very important man. So if you look at Genesis 17, let's go there. Or Genesis 19. The first verse of that chapter was, was what? Was telling us the story of where Lot was. Where was he? Now, if you're, if you're an important man during that time, the gate of a city is where everything happens. If you look, read to the Bible and the culture of the Old Testament, right? That's where things happen. Um, let's see. Uh, remember Mordecai? He was at the king's gate. He, uh, he was there to make sure that they had everybody that passed the gate had business with the king or, you know, with the royal family. Uh, uh, remember Boaz? Boaz, when he said, I'm going to marry Ruth, he, what did he do to the elders? He called them to what? The what? The gate, all right? The gate of a city is a strategic location, you see. Uh, if you sit, sit there, you know who comes and goes. And um, 
let me venture by saying, you know, Lot was probably at the gate because he had a large flock who probably used the surrounding areas to feed his large flock. And you know, he's ensuring that at the time of the evening, what happens? His flock came back. Because <laughs> if you're not in the city gate, how do you know your flock came back? All right? So the other thing about, you know, being in the city gate is usually that's where judgments happen. That's where a lot, you know, that's where businesses are held transaction-wise. You know, when, when, when there's judgment made, it's announced at the city gate, right? So when Lot was, was sitting at the gate, historians have debated about this, that he is a, probably a very important man in the city of Sodom. So he was wealthy, he had honor, he had a city office. He probably married in Sodom because there was no record of Lot having a wife till, till Sodom, and the wife was you know, probably married there. They had a family there, daughters, right? Everything was secure safe, surrounded by city walls. The kings that invaded Sodom was defeated. There was no more threat. And then what happened? The story goes, after visiting Abraham, the Lord and two angels, they parted ways and the two men that went with the Lord went to, to Sodom. And Lot was right there at the gate greeting them. If you look at the story of how um, Abraham greeted the strangers, how he said, come to my tent, wash your feet, I'll prepare a meal for you. Um, in that culture, that was hospitality. And Lot was just as he was part of Abraham's family, was practicing the same thing. Come to my house. I will provide comfort. You can sleep for the night. He had to convince them, in fact, because what? They wanted to what? They wanted to sleep in the city square. And then at night, while during, they were doing their entertaining, and the man of the city comes and tries to knock down the door, Right? And, and said, bring us the strangers, right? We want to get to know them, right? And, you know, I mean, this was apparently normal in Sodom. If you backtrack a little bit, when the two strangers departed for Sodom, the Lord and Abraham were in the middle of a negotiation. Do you remember that? Abraham said, I know you're the Lord. I know you're going to destroy Sodom. But he said, what? If there's 50, will you save it? Yes. But can you imagine the bargaining that's going on? Abraham got it down to that if there was 10 people in Sodom, it will be saved. Let me ask my internet. 
So, when the men of the city came and tried to knock on the door, I still don't understand this, but you know, Lot says, comes out of the door and says, hey, you know what, I have two daughters. Give them to you, you know. They, they refused. The two angels, what? Struck the men of the city with blindness. They couldn't find the door, pulled Lot back in, barred the door. And then the story keeps going. The next question that came from the man and the angels is said, do you have anyone else? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, any relative that can come. The destruction of Sodom is coming tomorrow. You need to get out. And so in verse 14, in 1914, it says, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place before the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Wow. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here I, or, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, what did the angels do? They physically grabbed their hands and dragged them out of the city. All right? Now, one of the things about when the Lord rescues us, he goes, come, come, come. And he finally, and this is... Um, an extraordinary rescue, in fact, you know, to send an angel to physically drag your family out of the city. I mean, come on. All right? When he hesitated, the man grasped his hand and, uh, the hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. We know that um, this is the current map of, the, of Israel. And a lot of um, archaeologists are saying that Sodom and Gomorrah were somewhere in this area of the Dead Sea. They're underwater now, and the Dead Sea is receding, so now it's being uncovered. There's a town slowly revealing itself. That's probably either Sodom or Gomorrah, okay? And down south over here is this, uh, a small town called Zor. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, there's a town here, small enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. And it's a very small town, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. What do you think is going on in Lot's mind? Doesn't want to live in the country. What do you think was going on with his wife's thinking. I miss all those parties, the clubs, the entertainment. 
I'm going to lose all of it. The daughters, what were they thinking? I was supposed to marry this important man. And I'm sure Lot, being as important a person as he is in that city, right, had connections to have his daughters marry some of the best men, eligible men in the city. But what did the angel say to Lot and his family? The command was simple. Don't look back. Don't look back. It's a simple command. I mean, it's as simple as, don't eat the fruit in the middle of the garden. Right? So what do we get out of this? Before I go any further, was Lot a righteous man? Second Peter 6, 9. You can look at it. I'll read it to you. Second Peter 2, 6 to 9. Let's open our Bibles there. This is what Peter's opinion of Lot is. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, and in parentheses, for the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds, what he saw. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. The implication is what? We, we could be in the middle of a fire, and in Lot's case, he was, and the angels had to physically drag him and his family out. I mean, this is, you guys, this is before Jesus came to earth. This is a physical manifestation of the divine. He sent physical men to rescue Lot out. And he was considered righteous, you see. And then we come to uh, Jesus' statement. Remember Lot's wife. So this is a story of a family, you see. A father, a mother, and two daughters. They were living the good life, as far as we are concerned. They didn't know that Sodom was going to get destroyed the next day. I mean, we're living on this earth in the last days, right? We don't know if Jesus is going to come tomorrow. We are drinking and eating, building and harvesting. We're doing our usual business. You know, when Noah came to uh, build the uh, ark, he preached for 120 years 
And then even to the day before the ark closed, he was still preaching, and then he's saying, come, the flood's coming. And the people, what? Laughed at him, just like Lot's son-in-law. They thought I was joking, you're crazy. So she did. She looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. Did Lot survive? Yes. Did her daughter survive? Yes. Now, I wouldn't judge them after the Sodom of what happens next if you read the Bible. I can point back, if you look at Abraham's family, you know um, Abraham's brother, Nahor, married his sister. Okay, so during that time, it was not uncommon to marry relatives. Okay, the daughters, one of them became the father of what? The Moabite, I mean, Lot, through one of the daughters, became the father of the Moabites. The other was with the Edomites, right? Ammonites, right. Where did Ruth come from? So they didn't do too badly. God did save them. Lot did become a great nation because he was righteous. But what happened to Lot's wife is an altogether different. And what I'm afraid of is that all of us here, including myself, have that same spirit that Lot has. Because you see, we are all living in the greatest nation of the earth, where poverty is defined as less than $24,000. By the way, in the Philippines, that's 50 times that, so um, $28,000 goes a long way in the Philippines. Um, you know, what's defined as poverty here is you have to have a car, a house, a TV, and enough food to feed a family for, for one year. Um, pretty good, right? We have the greatest military arsenal in the world. No one would dare, right? I mean, we have nuclear weapons that can destroy the world, you know, a hundred times over. We have by far the greatest security that anybody has experienced in human generation. We're safe. I love movies. I love Indiana Jones, and you know what he says, right? Just when everything is nice, that's when the floor gets pulled under you. And that's where we are. That's why Jesus warned us. He said, remember Lot's wife. I mean, Come on, this is a pretty severe punishment, right? Not only do you die, but you become a pillar of salt and you're a reminder for the rest of the generation that you're one of those pillars of salt in the Dead Sea. God kind of made a monument. See, the problem is that she got attached to the things of Sodom. This attachment was so strong, right? that she had to look back. And you know, I think I know what she was thinking. 
I'm going to lose all of those. Her daughters will not marry the sons-in-law that they were betrothed to and have a big family, a very prominent family in Sodom. But this is why she was punished, I think. You know, I used to think um, when I was growing up in school, you know, our teachers would ask us, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. But I thought, you know, and they would pose a question, well, sin is what? The transgression of the law, right? What law did Adam and Eve break? There was no Ten Commandments then, right? But they disobeyed, right? See, the problem with disobedience And this is why faith is the method of saving anybody, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is because when we disobey God, we lack faith. We don't believe. I mean, yeah, I mean, right? Noah said, it's going to flood. God said, it's going to flood. I built the ark 120 years. Everybody said, you're crazy. There's no water, there's no rain. Lot's son-in-law, same reaction. You're joking. The wife, she had that same spirit. Till the actual destruction of the city occurred, her thought was, why am I running away with my life? I don't believe these two strangers, right? Because you see, if we don't have trust in God or we don't have faith in God, we don't have faith in what Jesus did on the cross, then we say we just disobey, I mean, right? So Adam and Eve sinned because they disobeyed, because they lack faith. Don't eat the fruit, you're going to die. Right? They had immortality in their hands. They didn't die right away. What's the price of looking back? Not just her life. You see, according to Mrs. White, the price of looking back was to empty heaven. And, you know, if you think about it, we are one planet out of probably billions in the universe. There's other beings out there when Jesus died. The song said said it all, right? A thousand angels cried when he died. God turned his face away. Uh, I venture to say there's probably 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 angels that cried that day. The creator of the world, he was there in the foundation of the world, had to die. The future of heaven was stopped at the cross. 
you see? That's the price of looking back. And it took, just like that, a decision. Remember the thief on the cross, what saved him? It was an instant. They were both criminal. They were both going to die, right? He said, what? Lord, remember me. Boom, saved. But at the same time, it also takes a second to lose immortality. Oh man, that came out wrong. But that's in Revelation 18.4. Then I heard another voice from the heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plague. It's talking about Babylon. That's four chapters from the end of Revelation. That's talking about us. And the same applies. Remember Lot's wife. See, one, I've always posed this, uh, the problem with fame and honor and glory and wealth and all these things that the earth has, the problem is that we're all mortal. We can't take it to the grave. We all die, you see. At the end of what Jesus promises is the greatest gift of all. I mean, in fact, there's a, I think there's a parable in the Gospels about a man who was searching for a pearl, and the pearl was, has an outrageous, audacious price. He sold his house. He sold everything. He went into debt to get the pearl because the pearl represents what? Immortal life, salvation. And Lot's wife, with an instant, uh, instantaneous lack of trust, became disobedient with all her attachments to Sodom, suffered consequences that was terrible. And so when Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, he's warning us it's up to us to respond. How should we live these days? Matthew twenty-four forty-six. Matthew twenty-four forty-six. Matthew twenty-four forty-six. It will be good for that servant whose master, his master finds him doing so when he returns. This parable is about the master returning. He wants to find us doing, you see. Because the question is, how should we live the last days? The master expects us to be doing, well, doing what? Well, the, the children's story was very good, you see. Everybody has a role in the mission, right? The mission is to save as many as we can. We labor as a church, as a family, as a conference, as a general conference. We use resources and money and time and sweat to save as many as we can. That's the mission. 
the master wants us to be doing. Well, I don't know how to preach. Well, I don't know how to preach. I, I'm preaching. Um, I don't sing. Um, uh, I can't cook as well as my wife. Um, I can pray, right? I know one of the things I miss about my grandma is she always tells us, I'm praying for you. You know, so now I'm praying for somebody else, you see. David, um, you know, uh, usually sends us text every, uh, every Sabbath. Dave, love the text. Back in March 23, he said this. Do you ever get tired of doing good? Do you ever feel like you're not really making a difference? Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. That's in Galatians 6, 9. See, there you go. And the reason why we don't give up is, you see, we may not see an immediate impact if we are patient. We will see an impact we make. We will reap the harvest. Don't give up. The little things that we do in this world, it may make a difference, but it does to somebody. You may not see the result. So, till the master comes, we have to be doing. Matthew 6, 33. One of my, again, one of my favorite verses. Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 33. Everybody knows this verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, I, I got John, uh, Pastor John's tip, you know, when you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is, you know, that defines your day. I've started praying. A little prayer. Well, you start that day right. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then the day becomes better. All right? John 15, 1 to 8. This is Joe's favorite verse because he, uh, he always tells me this. John 15, 1 to 8. I'll read it to you. I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that you will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain with me. You can read the rest of the chapter. The idea is that we are always connected. And if you don't feel that connection, pray about it. Every day. It makes a difference whether you perceive it or not. That little change makes a difference. How should we live these days? Keep doing. Seek first the kingdom of God. And always remain with Jesus Christ, connected. And that is my message for today.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sharing us your Holy Spirit till we understand the words that you speak and that we take these words in our heart and make that incremental change little by little every day. We pray for blessings on everyone here and those who are not here and those who are here this message. Bless everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.